What does it feel like to be over tamaled? Oh my goodness, it's it's oh it's bliss. Although, what's with the rain here in Santa Fe? <laughs> Everybody, welcome to the Pre-Accident Investigation Podcast, the full-blown podcast. This is it, the big podcast, the castable of podness. How are you? How's everything going? It's um, it's a crazy day here at the Pre-Accident Investigation Studios slash my house because I've had excitement enter my life. While I was doing a workshop online for Australia uh, earlier this week, at about 5.37, according to my Apple AirTag, somebody stole my bicycle. They, they, they came into my yard and stole my bicycle. It was stolen. And I was not even, honestly, I was not even 10 feet away from it. And what happened is, near as I could tell, and the police were very helpful. I have to give them props for this. Um, it was a person who was stealing Amazon packages. A porch pirate is what they're uh, affectionately called. And they must have looked over my fence and saw my bicycle. And they dumped all their packages that they'd stolen from other neighborhoods and got into my fence and stole my bicycle. But they left the packages. So that was good, I guess. I mean, if there's a, if there's a bright side to that. A bunch of people got their, <laughs> their packages back, so that's good. But uh, it's been kind of a interesting journey you know it's just a bicycle so i'm okay with that it's it's nothing um, although i had a lot of miles on that bicycle i had more than seven thousand miles on that bicycle and uh you know i I miss it emotionally but uh, it's just a bicycle it's 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 replaceable completely and maybe i needed a new one i don't think it's going to hurt me to have a new one but it's been quite a journey because you know you feel sort of wronged and violated all those kind of things but in the scheme of things, there's so many worse problems that it sort of fell down the list. Although I do have a reward offered for it. So if you see it, there's a pretty tasty cash reward coming out there. But that is, that's up to speed for me, at least as it is right now. It's been a big part of my week. So I thought I'd share it with you because that's what we do is we talk about things. Uh, it's been crazy, everything. I mean, this, I don't even know what to say. The amount of uncertainty in the world is just nutty, and kind of that's what I wanted to talk about with with you guys today. So today's going to be a really fun day because our buddy Mark McElhaney from um, Atlanta, Georgia, was in town, and he's got a new book, and I really enjoyed it. It's called The Risk Within, and so I'm always kind of aligned to how people look at risk. I thought this was an amazing little jaunt into understanding that connection point between the workplace, that's where we all hang out, and risk, which is what we talk about all the time, and mental health, and then mostly security. And what Mark does, you know, is he's a big threat assessment guy, and that's how we met. We met years ago with a major organization uh, in Atlanta, you can sort of fill in the blanks, um, talking about risk and threat. And they were really early adopters in sort of seeing the whole picture 
of the workplace environment and context as one. So they didn't really see a big difference between safety and security and all those kind of things. They just saw it all as one. And Mark's been an, an amazing friend, a dear friend, actually, for years. I mean, like more than tw- like a long time. We've been friends, and we've always kept up, and we we get the chance to work together. We've worked together really around the globe, but I'm amazed at how he thinks about understanding things like workplace violence and active shooter. These are all words that I can't believe we have to use, but we do. We have to use them because it's been a big part of the organizational discussion, unfortunately. I mean, we know because as the economy changes – And it's changed dramatically. And as tensions get tighter on our societies, you're going to see increased crime. You're going to see increased problems. You're going to see increased unhappiness. And and the great leveler um, that is our society is deep in the middle of that. And it's all sort of represented at the employment, at the workplace, where we, we hang out. And that's kind of what Mark's book talks about. I think you'll find this... Well, I know you'll find the conversation interesting because it's an interesting conversation, very tamale focused, because we'd just gone to a place called Posas and had the tamale pie, which is uh, a great dish. If you come to New Mexico, we'll make it happen. I promise you that, right? But what got interesting was the way Mark looks at risk is not unlike the way we look at risk. And that's a, probably a pretty important learning moment for us because risk is not something that we um, have a lot of control over. Risk is really fluid. It's hard to predict. It's, it's, it's a part of, of what we want to control, but we can't. What we can control is how prepared we are for that risk, how we think about risk and risk assessment and preparation and capacity. And that's the conversation that Mark and I have. And I think you'll enjoy it immensely. Mark McElhaney, the risk within. That, that's what he's going to talk about. Listen to his conversation and see what you think. I think you're going to find it quite amazing. Without much more fanfare or discussion of my stolen bicycle, which is clearly on my mind, listen in because it's a conversation between the three of us. Myself, Mark, and you. So what <laughs> caught my eye in the book is the title. Um, and the title is The Risk Within, and it's it's really a good book. I really enjoyed it. But there's a sub – or a, what, what would you call the thing that's above the title? I, I don't know. What's <laughs> Sir. I guess there's a sir title. And it says, a safety prevention approach to preventing and managing threat, the threat of violence and aggressive behavior in the workplace, The Risk Within. Right. Preventing and Managing Workplace Violence by right. Mark McElhaney. Critical Response Associates. That's, I just read the cover out loud. What's a safety approach, and what do you mean by that? Well, it's it, it's a prevention approach. It is it is an approach where where we are not uh, coming in uh, in the middle of the crisis or after the crisis has happened. Hopefully, we're coming in much earlier uh, to uh, where we identify. You know, I think you refer to them as adverse events in your work. I refer to them as behaviors of concern where we see these behaviors of concern among our employees or other people we work with, and we address these early on so that we can manage the consequences of those behaviors of concern, uh, are, are what I call high-risk behaviors. Uh, and, and again, that's what this is all about. It's not about predicting violence. It's about preventing violence. And, and how do you can – you ma- can you manage behaviors? Is behavior manageable? Is behavior manageable? Uh, I think you can address 
uh, your concerns about behaviors and through your assessment and through understanding the behavior and understanding the root causes of it and some of the parameters of it, I think that you can figure out a way to uh, manage the situation so that you, the consequences are different than they would have been otherwise. But but by doing that, you're really not changing the behavior. You're responding to the behavior and changing the context. Fair enough, or, or is that wrong? Is that assumption incorrect? That's a good assumption. Yeah, I would I would not use those words, but that's that 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 is accurate. Yes. Well, it's something we think about a lot, at least on my side of the coin, because there's so many people who say if we could just get people to behave better, right then the world would be a better place, which, you know, is true, I think. It's, it's hard to argue that. The challenge is is to assume that the people have free agency, that behavior is actually a choice. Whereas what I've learned, and I'd be curious what you think, especially in your work, behavior is almost always a function of some kind of environmental factor, some kind of contextual factor. Well, that's exactly right. And that's what really the book is about, because what I do is I take three individuals from our case files. And I just I I took literally randomly three recent case files. And, of course, I changed the names and some of the, the details and all. And I talk about them and their lives and what led to the point of them representing a risk of violence in the workplace or a high risk uh, individual. And like you said, they, uh, many of them were going through issues in their lives that were separate from them but uh, impacted them greatly. Uh, and and all three of them were very nice people. They would be people that, uh, you know, you and I and anybody else would see in their everyday lives and feel like they're normal, good people, but who were had come to a particular uh, perfect storm in their lives of, of, of various factors coming together that uh, made their lives such that they were considering or they they could have led to potentially fatal consequences if if we had been if we had not been paying attention right and all three of those were uh, individuals who we we recognized what was going almost at the last minute. And every one of them, if you trace back, you would see that there was developing issues that were not addressed by people or ignored or, or you know, or just just not not addressed. How significant is that ability to monitor, not measure, but monitor behavior that is happening, not something bad that has happened? Well, I, I think it's relatively easy in my book. Yeah, I, mean, I, I would agree, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because it's you know it's 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 paying attention to people as much as anything else. You know, we we human beings all operate. I mean, our primary defense mechanism, and we all use it every single day. There's nothing wrong with it. Is denial and avoidance. I mean, we we cannot get through a single day, you know, not using that defense mechanism to some degree. And if we have a situation that's going on to, with somebody we're we're concerned about. It's we have enough going on in our lives. It's easy enough to avoid dealing with it or deny that it's going on or or delay dealing with it. So it's you know it's it's overcoming that tendency first and foremost. And I and I use the words you know paying attention in the book. I, I you know I maybe have oversimplified it, but I think it really covers everything. Is paying attention to the the troubled and the troubling. You know, and and that's pretty much covers much of what I'm talking about. But to do that, that means you have to monitor workers in normal occurrences. I mean, you you, you have right. to you have to understand that the workers 
that you have or the people around you are people that you want to see as um uh how can i say this so it doesn't sound they're they're sources of information all the time and and monitoring and understanding that makes a big difference that's that's a big part of it have you seen well let me rephrase that mark is is your business increasing have you seen changes is it getting worse is it getting better is it staying the same yeah, that's an interesting question because during COVID, you know, when the pandemic hit, a lot of my clients, which are corporations, you know, they they shut down more or less. And and so we didn't get a lot of business and, you know, we didn't get a lot of calls for crises and all, but we knew a lot was going on. I mean, we looked at the statistics and we saw, you know, that that uh, drug use was going up. We saw that domestic violence was going up. We saw that suicides were going up. But, you know, they weren't impacting the workplace. And we knew that people were dealing with all sorts of stresses and, and difficulties because of the pandemic. Um, and and so we kind of braced ourselves and, and relaxed for a while because we knew that, you know, this, the storm was going to hit. And that's exactly what's happened with us. I, we uh, our, our call volume is at three times its normal rate right now. It's we're just almost overwhelmed. Is that concerning? Should we be concerned? Uh, I think so. I mean, I you know, it I, seems like it. I, it. It just uh, we we're just seeing a lot more, to, you know, for lack of a better term, bad behavior. Uh, we're seeing a lot more uh, mental health crises with a lot less uh, uh, services out there. I mean, the whole the whole mental health system is pretty much overwhelmed right now. Uh, we're seeing more suicides right now. We're seeing more substance abuse. I mean, even f- traffic fatalities are going up. I mean, uh, vehicle fatalities. Yeah. So it's just across the board. Yeah, and, and, and you know, it's and, and, and it's not to anybody's uh, you know amazement that we've got a lot going on. Background stress in our society right now. Is it is it is it uncertainty or, or an increased uh, uh, amount of uncertainty? That's caused this increase, or is it is it a fragility of our systems? What do you what do you think is creating this environment where you're seeing so much more activity, or and companies are seeing so much more? I mean, the relationship with mental health and safety and reliability and operations is really strong right now. In fact, we spend a lot of time, Mark, talking about creating psychological safety, which doesn't mean it's a place for warm hugs. It means where people can be honest and tell you how they're feeling. Yeah, um, and that's a that's a pretty hard thing to do. What do you, what do you recommend companies do? Well, first of all, you know, going back to the uncertainty, there are a lot of stressors on people right now. But but you always have to remember the biggest stressor for any human being is uncertainty. I mean, we we're pretty good at dealing with things once we understand what they are. Uh, but uh, the uncertainty real just absolutely uh, uh, exaggerates every all the other st- uh, stress that we're all the other stress that we're dealing with. Um, and again, companies just—you have to pay attention to your employees. You have to be paying attention to, uh, and and not assume that this is the right way to do things or this is how they're feeling, but to pay attention to how they're feeling and what's going on with them. Asking leaders to pay attention feels like the right thing to do, but it, it begs this question. How how do they pay more attention? How do they pay more effective attention? What do they need to do differently that they're not doing now? Well, first of all, I think you have to train up your your entire population Fair to enough to recognize you know 
these issues, identify these issues, and recognize them and report them, and, and, and then have a process by which they can be examined and, and monitored. For example, in the, in the area of workplace violence, I mean, we do have uh, awareness programs for employees of what to, you know, what to look out for, how to report it, and, and, uh, and some guarantees about their, their security. They do report it. And then we have programs for managers about what to do when they receive these reports. Then we, then we have programs for HR and, and critical personnel, as I call them, to, uh, you know, what to do with this. And then we have a, a threat management team, you know, that uh, helps to, that really closely looks at the, the issue and, and decides whether there is, uh, they need to, there is a threat and then decides whether they need to bring in experts to help them with it. Well, of all the people I get to talk to, um, you are sort of the pre-accident podcast in-house threat assessment expert. I mean, you're the threat assessment person. That's what you've done your entire career. What do you recommend organizational professionals do at every level to hone those threat assessment skills? Well, I think that, you know, again, I can't, in terms of the organizations, it's never... I never want to try to make have organizations think they need to be good at threat assessment. Right, fair because, enough. And and so I, the the it's the process that's important. It's the process of having uh, you know leadership set the um, the vision of of having your company pay attention to its employees, to have a process where employees can be identified. And that that those particular issues, behaviors of concern, if you will, will be addressed and addressed in a particular way, and that you have an internal threat management team so that the the issues that do potentially represent a risk of some sort get routed to that team. Now that even that team is not going to be experts in threat assessment. That's not the idea. You know, they're going to be members of HR and security and legal within the or or whomever or management within the company but they are going to understand the process that they have to go through to make sure this gets assessed well and and, and know what the resources are that they need to bring in to help them so i i really like what you're saying because it's 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 not that companies need to be expert in threat assessment they need to be really owners of a process that allows them to actually move through the steps necessary when you identify a condition that may be of concern. I mean, when you look at statistics, uh, just just basic statistics, and you realize that something like somewhere between 3 to 5% of the population uh, attempts suicide in their lifetime, which is extraordinary, or you look at 10% of the population um, has had an alcohol or drug abuse problem in their lifetime, or six percent of the population in, in every single year is going to be diagnosed with a severe incapacitating, uh, you know, mental illness, or or what, twenty five percent of uh, women in particular have had, uh, you know, a history of some kind of physical r- rape or physical assault. So you know that in you know your population is not going to be that much different than the average population. In other words, those things those are things that are going on in your organization. Do you know about them? Uh and 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 why do you not know about them? Which is a fair question, right? I mean that's a it, it, it's funny because Mark what I want to say to you is well you know my company is special because that's what everyone says. But we're not special. We're always going to fit in the bell curve, and there's always going to be that side. And I, I think that process, the realization that the potential is there, 
and then realizing that you you can't manage the future so you manage a process to respond to the current to the present that's really powerful and that's what i think your book does so beautifully so the thing about the risk within that's the book name right is that it's it's written beautifully at kind of the practitioner level is that fair i think so but I, but i i hope it's applicable to everyone i sure. mean you know, yeah, I, I hope that it's uh, something because again, it it addresses what's bothered me so much in the thirty years I've been doing this, is that our stereotype of who commits workplace violence is so wrong, and and it's so pervasive and it's so hard to fight. You know that somehow it's some you know crazed guy with AK forty seven, you know, or or someone who's evil, or 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 it's quote unquote mental health issues. And and again, it's it's all about the fact. No, that's not the people we you know we deal with. Uh, many times, in the three examples I give in the book, are normal people uh, going through some abnormal circumstances in their lives. But uh, all three of them are very nice people that uh, are very likable. But one of them, because in a, of an, she was in an abusive relationship, another because uh, he. Uh, was uh, a young man who uh, was, you know, on the spectrum. He had Asperger's, and he had difficulty coping with some things, and, and the, the company was being sold, and he was having some adjustment problems. And another one that basically was it had over-medicated on some back medication, and uh, it was going through some extraordinary crises in his life. Each of them gotten to a point where it could have been a disastrous conclusion, but none of those people would fit any kind of profile or anything and 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 every all three of them went a long time before someone stepped up and said hey you know we need to pay attention to this and that stepping up and paying attention is is really the part we want to try to build that's the capacity that we need to create within the organization more now than ever before because of the increased uncertainty and and just the the rapidly changing world. I mean, that's that's a huge part of it. Well, you and I discussed this the other day. I mean, that, that um, you know, we've been talking about all during COVID, we've been talking about going back to normal. Right. And there is, you know, and I, and you and I both have been saying, there's not going to be going back to normal. There's, right. there's a new normal. And we don't even know what that is now, nor do we know how our employees, what they've been through and where they are now and how they're going to adapt to, you know, this new normal so we've got to pay attention we've got to ask them a lot of questions too and and what's amazing about that is that desperate need to go back to normal that desperate need to make things normal again to make things good again whatever the word you want to use it permeates to a great extent the way leaders think about the organization i mean what i find so interesting is that first in our world we have to build the 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 belief that there's a need to pay more attention to our workforce, then once we build that belief that there's a need to pay more attention, then we have to t- start telling them stories that they may not want to hear. Absolutely. That's kind of risky. I mean, that's one of the beauties about this book, and and I'd be curious why you made that decision, but using the case studies is a, is a really compelling way to engage uh, us in the story. I mean, it, it, it really makes us a part of the story all the way through and then kind of thread them through. And then I really like how you do these sections where you say, these are things we don't want to hear. 
Um, we could do that on the safety world as well. I mean, there are definitely phrases that when you hear them, those are really important phrases and, and you want to pay attention to them and, and understand what's going on there in, in the richest way. It, it, it's remarkable. Yeah. Also, I, I wanted, you know, I wanted to do it the case study way because I've been doing this about 30 years. And when I got into it, nobody was writing anything about it. I mean, there was no, there wasn't any guidelines for me in terms of doing this kind of work. I have learned this stuff through those cases. I mean, the, the employees that I've dealt with are, are the ones that have taught me all of this and, and have led to the conclusions that I have and, and the, uh, the model that I have in terms of the, the prevention programs. And again, I, and so that's why I use the case study model because it, it, you learn from these incidents. You learn from these people. You learn from your employees. And there's much they can teach us. Absolutely. Both bad or good. So let me ask that question. How do we know, how do we look, how do we seek good? How do we seek appreciative understanding of where workers are? What's a, what's a normal worker look like? <laughs> I'm not sure I understand the question. What, what's, what's a, so I always talk about that we have to observe kind of normal daily work in order to understand the extremes. We oftentimes, and this is the point you just made, we oftentimes study the extreme cases, right. and then we try to apply the extreme cases to the rest of the workforce. And it's it's kind of crazy. I mean, that's how you get these weird stereotypes around workplace violence. He was a loner, really quiet, just snapped. You know, you, you can sort of go through the, the, the wrong stereotypes that exist out there, right? That that helps the the reason we look at the negative and try to extrapolate to the positive is because it's really easy in retrospect to see what the negative looks like and then try to seek that in the positive. What I hear you say, and more importantly what this book says, is that's not the right thing to do. Don't go out and look for loners who have AK forty sevens. Right? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. And and, and we're, we're talking about communicating, we're not just talking about communicating to those who have who have, who are acting bad? <laughs> We're talking about you know the communication process has got to be there uh, at the very beginning at all levels you know for all employees. So if you could give one solid piece of advice, not not the answer because that's not a fair question because there is no answer, but one solid piece of advice, kind of the beginning foundational piece of advice to a company anywhere in the globe, and there's lots of them that listen to this podcast. Where would they start? What would they need to do? Because you know, I, I, you know, you once said a long time ago, I think, I think it was you that told me this. You said it's all about conversation. Yeah. Did you say that? Yeah. yeah all right. Yeah. Am I attributed to the right person? Yeah, I say that all the time. Yeah. That's yeah. how change happens: one conversation at a time. Yeah. Exactly. And it is all about conversation. It's all about conversation with your employees to a certain extent, uh, because you should not be hit out of the blue. Uh, because somebody came in with with a weapon because he was angry, um, you know, uh, and and again, a lot of my work is having a conversation with that person, but the conversation should have started a whole lot earlier than that. Uh, so you know that that would be a primary, um, and 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 just and just paying attention to people and asking the and asking questions, um, and there's there's oftentimes there's too much. There's too much of an assumption about what people are thinking and feeling without checking out. But like right right now, you know the 
bringing people back to work uh, post-COVID, there's a lot of decision-making being going on about how to do that yeah. without consulting the people that it's being done to. Yeah, you're right. You're, uh, and if I can add one thing, and tell me if it's wrong because we'll edit it out. Okay, so we're fine. Is all of the things you said, they're poignant and beautiful. But I think one other really important component is missing from what you just said. And it's really the crux of the book. And have a process established to actually do something with that information before you need that process. So, so have the capacity built to talk about somebody who's at the edge of their coping mechanism in your organization before you need that capacity. Is that fair? That is absolutely accurate. And it's all about the process. It really is all about the process. Because I am asked a lot about what do you do when X, Y, Z happens. You know, if I have a, if I have a suicide employee, would I, like as if I'm going to have a two-sentence right. answer to that. And there is a process that's involved. And that process has to begin by identifying that individual and, and, take, and, and again, going through a process where you, you have the right people in place who are trained and can pay attention and ask the right questions and bring in the right resources to manage the consequences of that individual being suicidal. And you can build that capacity before you need it. Absolutely. Absolutely. In it's, fact, all about, I, it's all about prevention. It's not, it's, it's not about, you know, coming in and putting out a fire. It's about, it's about prevention, it's not, and it's not about prediction, by the way. Why not? Because human beings suck at predicting? Well, I mean, I, you know, I always say that what I do is not about predicting, it's about prevention. And I always I use an example sometimes. And I thought about this when I went to my cardiologist. You know, I said, you know while I was sitting there in, in the waiting room, I thought, you know, my cardiologist, if I brought him in there to the waiting room and said, which one of these people here are going to have a heart attack and when are they going to have it? He would say, there's no way I can tell you that. And But if I'd said, can you tell me who here is at risk and how to manage it? Absolutely. That's what they do for, you know. And so I'm, my job's kind of the same. And and it's and, and people come, you know, in the early days, people would come to me and say, we, we need to, you know, they wanted me to predict whether someone's going to be violent. And it's not about prediction. It's about prevention and understanding that individual well enough to know what the risks are and how do we manage that. And again, in order to understand those risks, you have to see them develop. You can't you can't do an assessment when someone's walking in the door with a gun in their hand. You know, I mean, you you you. Should. And by the way, I just as an aside, this is a different subject. But people sometimes think that the so-called active shooter or mass shooters in a, in a different category. And the FBI, you know, had a great study in 2018 where they looked at. Uh, you know the the mass shootings over the last I think prior ten years or so, and found that every single one of them there were there were pre-existing signs that were observable, recognizable. Uh, they you know there were every one of the individual about I think the average uh, uh, active shooter had three something like four uh, major stressors in their life. Uh, many of them have leaked this, their their intent to other people. So it's not anything different. They're not in a different category. Right. But isn't that kind of a retrospective study? Like, I would say the one thing that you bring to the table is the ability to not not sort of leverage retrospective understanding of an event after it's happened, but in fact use the knowledge you have to really create this process to respond to events, to help triage, 
and change the direction of a potential outcome. Exactly. And the way you change that direction is by changing the context around the person. You're not going to change the person's behavior because you don't have that power, I would suggest. Mm-hmm. What you do is you change the potential outcome by changing sort of the next thing they do. Right. That is correct. That's amazing. Yeah. And so interesting. This book is really a good read. I'm super, I mean, I'm blown away by it. It's, it's, it's clearly a book that you've thought of your whole career. And it's really attainable. I mean, it's 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 not a giant book that weighs 500 million pounds. It's 145 pages, and it's all really usable. And I think applicable to things beyond workplace violence. I think it's really applicable to to good, effective leadership across the board. Well, thank you for this opportunity. Good to see you again. Great Man, to, it's great always to fun visit to Santa Fe. Are you going? Are we going to have uh, more sunshine next time? Uh, yes, I will get on that. I will. I will put Please. The, I'll put the work order in now. Right. It's going to take three weeks to process, but, but not. But just as many uh, tamales. Right. Can I get your cost and program code so I can uh, go ahead and do that work order? Uh, I'll do that. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Adios, amigo. See ya. Bye. There it is. It's a pretty good little conversation. I think it's really valuable. And we probably can learn much from each other. I know we can learn much from each other because I have learned so much from Mark all along. But it's a great opportunity to sit and talk. It's also fun just to chat with an old friend. You know that. That makes it worthwhile as well. I'm way over time, so I owe you uh, four minutes later. I'm sure I'll make it up for you. Until then, learn something new every single day. I bet you did today. Have as much fun as you possibly can. Be good to each other. And for goodness sakes, be safe. (laughs) 